This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is Rondé Barber. You're listening to Ira, I think that's his name, and Clark on the iTest for Two. Welcome to the second installment of this week's iTest for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we're Hall of Fame voters. Joined today, as always, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. But that's not all, because we have another Hall of Famer with us, someone I'd normally introduce, except not in this case, because Ira's been introducing him to the Hall's Board of Selectors for the past eight years. So Ira, it's only right and fair that you do it one more time here. All right, I've got I've got my written questions over here, John. Well, tell uh, them who they're listening to. We're <laughs> listening to former Bucks safety uh, and Broncos safety, John Lynch, nine-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, and a new member of the Hall of Fame class of 2021. Congratulations. Mr. Lynch. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, Ira, I've told you personally, but, uh, you know, incredible amount of gratitude because I know how hard you worked. Uh, the other guys didn't make you work so hard, Brooks and Sap. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I felt like I was becoming a burden on you, but I appreciate you keeping the faith and, and always feeling like I belonged. And I think that was, uh, you know, I, I'd always, you, know, you guys do a great job in that room and I respect the work that you do, but you guys also do a great job of keeping what is said in that room, uh, you know, sacred. And uh, one thing I always got out of that room is, hey, Ira uh, makes a great case for you and he's passionate about it. And so I'll forever be grateful for that. And I've told you that, but I, I do want to tell the world that as well. Thanks, John. And thanks so much for giving us a, a few minutes. John, you got to tell the story, John. And I'm not sure Clark knows it, but tell the story of, uh, who got the first phone call from David Baker before you even got the knock on the door from David Baker and, and, and how your lovely wife uh, managed to keep a secret, John, how, how did it happen? Yeah. So we were down at our place in San Diego. Uh, that's kind of where we, um, where we go to get away. Um, you know, in the, the little bit of time in this, in this GM role, you, the, the NFL calendars become very much year round. And so you don't get a whole lot of time. But it works that we have a, a getaway down to San Diego. Clark, you're very familiar. And it's I don't know if there's a, a better place in the world uh, in terms of climate and the whole deal. It's where I was raised. It's my happy place. And so we were down there and uh, 
typical Sunday um, in the Lynch household where we go to nine o'clock mass and, you know, I'll see my parents, my, my father-in-law will be there with all our siblings. And, and I was leaving the next day for the senior bowl and my uh, duties, um, you know, with the Niners down at, in, in Mobile. And so I was kind of feverently packing. Everybody was coming to our house to watch the championship games, the championship weekend. And, um, so every, uh, Linda was acting a little strange. So I knew something was up and I, I just thought it was, you know, they, uh, we had a bunch of people coming to the house and, and so we're getting ready. I'm packing games are about to start the Bucks Packers, I think was about to start. And Linda pulls me back. Hey, let's make sure you're all packed so we can enjoy the day. And like was keeping me in my closet. And then she said, all right, let's go out and watch the games with everybody. Right. As I go out, there's this huge knock. And at the same time, she told, she texted one of my kids, Hey, bring everyone to the front door. They didn't know what was going on. The only person that knew was Linda. And so we probably had, you know, 20, 25 people there. And uh, you know, I see hear this enormously now. I mean, it's so loud. It scared me because <laughs> it was, it was just an enormous knock and they answer the door and there's uh, there's Babe Ruth, you know, or, or David Baker um, sitting there. And, uh, you know, my first reaction got, I, I received plenty of playing, uh, phone calls from, from David Baker. And, uh, you know, I, I think I muttered, David, you better not be here telling me bad news. <laughs> and uh, no, it was, it was good news. And it was incredible. I, you know, I think in a COVID world, they had to make adjustments but I'm not so sure it, it, it might kill David Baker going across the country. Um, but I think it's even better doing it that way. Cause I think typically it's been my wife and I in that hotel room and that's, that's um, you know, it's that it's, I guess it's good. However you, but to receive that news with all your loved ones, my kids, I have four, four kids and they were all there. My parents were there. Everybody who I, you know, the closest to me was there. And then, uh, about five minutes later, a bunch of friends show up. So just couldn't have been any better. It'd been a long wait and receiving that news hit me harder than I, I ever thought it would. And John, you know, let's, let's give Linda some credit, John. She, she held it to, uh, to her chest for 48 hours. I, I don't know how she did it, John. Oh. Yeah, she, she did a good job. I, uh, I, uh, you know, and there, there were some challenges there. Um, you know, Mr. DeBartolo, who I talk to regularly with his past with the, with the Niners and he's a friend, um, you know, on Friday. So two days before that sent kind of a random note, I, I, I probably shouldn't put uh, Eddie out there, but I, what the heck it, it happened, but he said, Hey, congratulations. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Now I called Derek Brooks right away because those two are very tight. They, they have a charter school together in Tampa. And I said, Hey Brooks, I just got this weird, no context to it. Just congratulations. Do you have any idea what Mr. DeBartolo was talking about? And he said, you know, today, you know, news did get out that you made the top 10. And I told him that he's probably congratulating you on that. And, you know, Derek's such an honest guy and Derek just dispelled it right away. I just said, yeah, you're right. That's probably what he's, what he's doing. And so I didn't think about it again. So the cat was almost out of the bag there, but otherwise Linda kept it, kept it completely silent. And uh, she's the only one who knew. Hey, John, um, three defenders uh, now off that great buck defense. That was so, so outstanding for seven or eight years. That's an eternity, John, by NFL standards. You know that. So it's not the 2000 Ravens or the 85 Bears. It's over a long period. John, you, you got you and, and, and two compatriots in there. Uh, are we done in Canton or is there room for more, my friend? 
Well, I hope there's room for more. I, I know, um, you know, you guys have the tough task of saying who's, who's deserving. Um, and there's so many, I mean, every, every year I was in a finalist group or a semi-finalist group, but you, you, you look at that list and you say, you can make a case for everyone. They're all great players. So um, I do believe Rondé Barber, I, I feel strongly in my heart. And, and I think, you know, what goes into a hall of famer? Well, I know when we're in draft meetings and, and uh, you know, looking for position, the next position, which is more important than people know, uh, we're looking for the next Rondé Barber. And, and, you know, here we are 15 years later or whatever. And, and uh, I think that position, Rondé played it as well as anyone's ever played it. He kind of defined it as it's played today. And then you can't argue with his production. Um, you know, he uh, sacks, interceptions, whatever. Um, and then I, I think, you know, a lot of guys have long careers, but are you, how, how well are you playing throughout the entirety of it? Rondé played at a Pro Bowl level pretty much to the end. And, you know, his challenges were early on catching, catching steam, but eventually he got going about year three and, and, and he played at an all pro pro bowl level. And I really think Rondé Barber and you can make a strong case for Simeon Rice. Um, so, you know, the, 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 that's my belief, but uh, you know, I, I, I certainly uh, understand the process and, but I, I do believe really strongly that Rondé belongs. We're with 49ers GM and now hall of famer, John Lynch on the eye test for two. And John, earlier you mentioned about keeping the faith. You waited eight consecutive years as a finalist, as a finalist. And as Ira pointed out in the room when this was discussed this year, no defensive player has ever gone through that before. Eight consecutive years as a finalist. And I think four of those years, you were top 10 finalists. What was the hardest part of waiting? And did you ever say to yourself, you know what? I don't know if this is ever going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I never got there. I, I, I never got to that point. Um, you know, did I get frustrated? I, I think I always had good perspective. And, uh, you know, I've been blessed incredibly. I've got, you know, a wonderful family. I, I, my wife is, you know, she's my best buddy. And, um, geez, you get, get a little emotional because you start thinking of all those times you're in that room and she's there with you. And, um, you know, the thing we always said is, you know, we got so much going for us in life, like this would be a cherry on top, but is it going to change it? No, it's, we know who we are. We know, you know, I was always proud of what I did on the, on the field. Um, you know, so I think as a defense mechanism, Clark, I, I told myself it really doesn't matter. Now that mm -hmm. changed quickly when I got the news because you yeah. just, you get this flow of emotions and, um, but I never got there. And I, I would credit and thank, you know, number one, my family, my kids, um, you know, my uh, my faith, you know, that, hey, yeah, while this would be nice, there's things that are more important. But I would also, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the conversations. I never forget being in the hotel of the Renaissance, uh, uh, the lobby of the Renaissance Hotel in Glendale, Arizona. Um, for that Super Bowl, I was working for Fox. I had just received the news that it didn't happen, and Lynn Swan came up with me. And I'd never met Lynn Swan. I obviously idolized him. My dad played a little bit for the Pittsburgh Steelers, was drafted by them. So I, we always kind of followed the Steelers, and Lynn Swan comes up to me. And I believe the number's 14 years. He waited yeah. as a finalist. And, you know, he told me that, and this was like year four for me. And I said, holy cow, I don't have it that bad. I mean, and he said, John, the great thing is once you go in, no one's ever going to remember 
He goes, did you know it took me 14 years? I said, no, <laughs> no, sir, I did not. And then Harry Carson had a conversation with me somewhere at Super Bowl as well. And then all the guys that are in, the Ronnie Lotts, uh, the Marcus Allens, uh, Junior Sam, God bless him when he was alive, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, telling me this is, you know, before he was in and before I was ever finalist that I'd be there someday and we'd be there together. Those things encourage you. And uh, I always stayed encouraged that it would happen. Um, I, I didn't think it'd take eight years, but hey, I, I tell you, I, I think the coolest text I re- received, Steve Smith, um, the receiver for Carolina, one of the great talkers. And, and uh, you know, he sent a heartfelt text. God's never really God's never late. He's always right on time. And you doing this in Tampa just makes me believe that this was kind of God's plan. And and I, I very much felt like that as I was as I was at the at the game. And um, you know, I think the reception uh, when they announced us that I received, you never know your old team, you've left, you're working for someone else, what kind of reception you're gonna get. And the reception was overwhelming. Um, so it, it it felt like it was right. So what advice would you give for others who have been waiting? I think specifically of Tony Baselli, for instance, who's been a top 10 finalist for the last five years and he's entering his 16th year of eligibility. What advice would you give people like him? Yeah, well, I talked directly to Tony. Tony's a very good friend. My brother-in-law who played in the league was roommates with Tony at USC. So I got to know Tony early and, and uh, man, I, uh, what a football player. Uh, he, he was the best. He made the game. I, I think it's, it's hard to say about certain people with, you know, if you make this game look easy, <laughs> I think Tony made it look easy. Uh, his deal is the career length, but I think some people like Terrell Davis maybe have helped that argument by breaking that door down. I think he belongs. And what I've told Tony, I, I think I just tried to share with him that, Hey, your time is coming. You know, we know that your time is coming. I, I really believe that. Um, keep the faith. And then what I tried to impart is, you know, it's almost like having a kid. No, you can't put it into words what it feels like um, when it happens. It, it's going to be so rewarding. And um, just just keep that faith. Keep the perspective. If it doesn't happen, you aren't a lesser man. You're, there's nothing. It's not like you, you, you know, you can go play one more game to convince the voters. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. You, you know, you, your resume has been written. And your resume is really strong, Tony, and I believe you, and I, I believe it's going to happen. So that's what you try to – same thing with Rondé. And, uh, you know, the coolest thing is, like, Rondé got to – you know, when we were in Tampa, got to uh, to, to share that experience. And, and you know, you, your, your best friends, instead of feeling bad for themselves, feel great for you. And, and uh, you know, it, you know I, I really believe that, the, you know, when, when it comes, it, it, that's the only time you can see how, how and, and really why it means so much. And I, I think a big part of that is much like when you retire, if, if you're a great player, you don't spend any time reflecting back. It's always about what am I going to do? What am I going to next? And I've continued to live my life that way. Okay. Now I'm broadcasting. Well, okay. Broadcasting on well. And then I take, took a leap to a leap to being a GM. I like challenges. So you don't f- spend a lot of time looking back something like this makes you look back and be appreciative of all the people that played a role. I thought a lot about Bill Walsh who basically talked me out of playing baseball because he told me I, he thought I could be great. And when Bill Walsh tells you something, your senior year in college, you, you tend to listen, you know, and uh, he was very convincing. I, I, I think of my parents who, who, uh, you know, just provided a tremendous, but also pushed me and pushed me to be great. And, um, think of the coaches, you know, Sam Weish, Tony Dungy, Mike Shanahan, Herm Edwards, Mike Tomlin, 
um, you know, could go on and on. Monty Kiffin, the, yep. you know, that played an integral role. And, and, you know, I think of Herm, Herm, Herm was the first one to, to speak Hall of Fame to me, you know, and it was early on in their time. And I had, I had been kind of a, a part-time starter my first couple of years. And, um, you know, they came in and saw something and about a year in, uh, Lynchburg, you need to change your expectations. You can be a pro bowler. You can be an all pro, but I think you're setting your sights short. You can be a, you can be in Canton one day. And I like, Whoa, you know? So when you think of people, everybody who told you something like that, because sometimes that gives you more confidence than you could ever give to yourself. John, um, talk a little bit about, uh, the organization that you built into an NFC champion. John, and then, you know, six and 10, I think you went one and seven at home, John. I think I'm correct on that, uh, which is hard to believe. Uh, but John, what, how's the way you look at the 2020 season? You know, your quarterback played six games, your tight end who, who's outstanding. He, he missed half the year, John. So, and you only had 30 sacks, John, that that's uh, short of what, what you want. So is it an aberration, John, in, in your mind, the 2020 uh, 49ers? Well, you can't treat it as such, uh, Ira, but I do remain confident that we've got a very good roster. You know, I felt like going into last year, we put our roster up against anybody in football. I felt like it, there's quality. I felt like there was depth. We got ravaged by injuries and, and you can't use that as an excuse, but you, have, you also have to understand that we're getting a lot of those players back. Nick Bosa, who's a game changer, is coming back. Um, you know, Debo Samuel. George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, all these guys were hurt a large part of the year. So what we've done is take a hard look at what we can, can we can do to control uh, those injuries. Large part of it last year, injuries were up league wide, but but we were at the top. And, you know, I think we try to address those things in the way we operate. Um, but we, we have to get better as well. Um, we very much believe in our quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. I think the biggest thing for him is staying healthy. When he's healthy, he's played at a high level. So we got to do that, but we probably got to add someone, you know, so that, um, you know, we, we probably need to improve ourselves so that if he's not there, we're all right. We can win games. And then, you know, one and seven at home, uh, our home was, was, was <laughs> some of those were here in front of no fans. And then we got relocated down to Arizona. So I don't know what home was last year, but we are, we are seriously looking forward uh, to kind of rebooting our team and making a run at this thing next year. And, and I believe we've got the, you know, what it takes to compete for a championship and um, we've got to add to it. We've got to improve, but I'm excited about that opportunity. John, one more from me. And thanks so much for your time, John. Uh, John, a little, some of your thoughts on the safety position and how it's evolved uh, in, in terms of now, John, now you're in the process of scouting and, John, when you scout a prospect at safety, uh, you know, is physicality, John, no longer much of a part of the equation uh, where it, it was very much in, in the 90s and the 2000s? Uh, how much has that position changed, John? Well, you guys, Ira and, and Clark, have watched a lot of football, so you guys know that this, this game is very cyclical. And, and you watch – I think that's a position where it's very tangible, the, the cycles, because – Safety is asked to do a little bit of everything. Um, but to your question about the physicality, I mean, I, I don't think you can watch the position and appreciate a guy like Jamal Adams and not say that and, and say that physicality is out of the game. I think it's different. The big hits over the middle, you better lower your target. Um, things that you used to be able to do and were just part of the game, they're not anymore. So um, I think what has changed, though, as a lot of these uh, college concepts have 
come into the game and it's not played in a phone booth. Uh, it, it played horizontally and vertically. Um, you know, we saw in my era, you know, the Leroy Butler's myself, you got very involved up towards the line of scrimmage and that still happens, but it's going back to a lot of the split safety because you're just trying to defend the areas where people are attacking and put an umbrella over things. So really more than ever, you need safeties who have coverage ability. And I think the big thing is guys that can tackle in space. Uh, offenses are doing a great job of getting their athletes. You think of Tyreek Hills, Debo Samuel for us. Um, when you get the, the ball to guys in space, you better be able to tackle them. And, and everyone says, what's happened to tackling? Well, I think we don't practice it like we used to, but I also think offenses are doing a better job than ever of creating those opportunities where you got to be able to tackle and just get them down in space. So those are all the things. And it's frankly, what I loved about the position is that you were asked to do a little bit of everything. You had to be kind of a renaissance man. You had to be able to play half the field, then cover a uh, Tony Gallus thing. You're playing a linebacker trying to tackle Barry Sanders and, and then you're bulleting off the corner. And so you were asked to do a little of everything. I think because of that, it's a really difficult position. I always tell our young scouts, like, don't go to the cutups. We have all this technology when you're watching a safety. You have to watch a whole game because it's very much a feel and instinct and angle position. So just watching cutups is not going to do the trick. I think it's one of the positions that takes the most effort to scout. Nobody tackled better than Rondé Barber, right, John? He, that was a great asset of his. He was a great tackler in space, and that was, you know, very much – it started up front with Warren, but the secret to our Tampa, too, because, you know, typically – in the Tampa two, you kind of have that four underneath the two corners, uh, the two inside guys, and then our, the Mike linebacker, even five underneath our Mike linebacker ran deep. And so it was really the two guys inside Brooks and Barber that had to, a lot of the check downs and stuff, you better be able to tackle in space and cover ground. And those guys were so good at doing it and kind of negating the, the uh, hidden yard yardage. And so when other teams tried to replicate it, it was difficult if you didn't have those guys, if you didn't have sap up front and you didn't have the whole puzzle. Well, John, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but you just provided Ira with his presentation for Rondé Barber next year at the Hall of Board of Selectors. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything I can do for him. I mean, I, uh, you know, when you believe that, that someone belongs, uh, you know, I, I think the lengths, I, you know, the two guys I failed to mention, you know, this is kind of a funny story. When I found out Derek Brooks has been such a champion as has SAP that, that I, that I belonged and, you know, helping Ira, um, you know, Derek's been tireless, you know, he, Derek will actually canvas voters and, you know, he, he works at it. Like he does it everything. And, and so when David came to the door, I said, David, I know no one's supposed to know. And we got to wait two weeks. He had told me that I got to FaceTime Derek Brooks. And so, we FaceTime Derek and D David's nervous, but he goes, okay, I trust Derek. And next thing you know, Brooks had added sap and Brooke and Baker said, oh, no, this is done. This is done. <laughs> because being secretive is not uh, sap's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not his best attribute. But to his credit, he kept it quiet right to the end. It's shocking to me. In, in today's world, things last in more than a day. And that that secret of the guys that made it um, – you know, it lasts two, and a, half, right? two so, and a half weeks, John. Yeah, yeah. it was unbelievable. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Um, I got a couple last ones for you, John. Um, first of all, do you know who's going to present you? I'm still working on that. Uh, Sap and Brooks are killing me because they said you've been waiting eight years. You think you'd have an idea. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm kind of just I'm torn because I we have four kids. I've got right. one boy. And so the logical and he's our eldest. 
but then I worry for my girls. And, and so it would be them or it'd be a certain coach. And, and uh, you know, David said, hey, you know, the great thing is, you know, the way we're doing it now, there can be some combination. So I'll, I've given myself till this weekend to have a, <laughs> have a, have a answer there. Okay. And then secondly, you spoke earlier about all the persons within your family, within football, who you're indebted to. Yeah. But if I asked you, I said, listen, John, I'm going to send a limo to the one guy or woman or family member, whoever, who was the most responsible in your mind for helping to get you to Canton, who would that be? <laughs> It'd be my wife. I mean, uh, no doubt about it. You know, we, we got engaged, uh, gosh, right before I left my rookie year. And she was a professional tennis player when we first got to Tampa. And so I think the mindset of having someone who's your best friend, um, you know, uh, but also understand uh, what being an athlete's all of, a high level athlete is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she took this journey with me. She supported me all the way through when it came time to leave Tampa, you know, and saying, Hey Lynn, I just want a place that's good for our family. Hey, pick the best football. We'll make it work. I mean, just things like that. She was just always there. And uh, I think that's certainly the person it's hard not to talk about your parents because the formative yeah. years, but yeah. I would say Linda, just because she was there with me every step of the way and, and uh, you know, always supported me. And, uh, you know, like just through this Hall of Fame process, you know, as I mentioned, she was with me every year. And, and you know, to her, it really didn't matter because, you know, she knew what I was to her. And, and, and in, my, in her mind, I'm Hall of Fame already. And so I think it probably affected her least. She's happy for me and happy for, you know, the whole deal. But um, she always felt like I was. So that, that'd be the person, Clark. Yeah, and I, I've got to give you a lot of credit because, as I said, you know, eight years, that, that's tough. And it is frustrating. And we've had a lot of candidates, as Ira knows, voice their frustrations. You never did. You, you never did. And when we met with you, you never brought it up. You just expressed faith in the process. And it worked out. So, uh, as I said, I, I give you a ton of credit for that because that's more the exception than the rule. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I did learn. I mean, what a tough job. I, I put myself in your guys' shoes, you know, as I look every year at the 15. And I honestly believe that. I mean, I never looked and said, what the heck's this guy doing here? Every single guy yeah. it was like, man, you could make a strong case. And uh, that remains the case. And it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, that I will say that I probably the thing that hit me most, because you again, like Sapp and Brooks said, you've been waiting eight years, you think you'd, but when David said you're number 350, and uh, like that hits you, of all the people that have ever played this game, you're one yeah. of 350. That's meaningful. That That is when it gives perspective to, you know, what just happened. And that blows you away. Um, you know, it, it really does. Cause you, you know, it's, you know, it's, um, it's elite territory. It's, it's, you know, sacred ground, whatever you want mm-hmm. to call it. But when someone gives you that perspective and I think he started, David, excuse me, David was talking Baker. so fast. David Baker calling you. We got a trade. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, when, when you start hearing the numbers that start, the numbers that have played the game of football, the numbers that have moved to college to NFL, and then you're, you're one at 350. That's pretty special. Yeah, they're going to sell some John Lynch jerseys in Canton this summer. Hey, uh, last question for you. And, and since you opened the door on it, and I asked you the question, I'm going to save the toughest one for last. And you talked about uh, the 2000, uh, the 2021 49ers and what you're looking forward to. And you said you very much believe in your quarterback. My question to you, John, is this. If he's injury-free, 
Is there any doubt in your mind that Jimmy Garoppolo is your quarterback when you line up in September? No, not at all. I mean, I, I really believe that he, uh, you know, I just look at the numbers. I mean, he's 25 and 24 and nine, 25 and nine when he's played, um, you know, though being available is a big part of this thing. So like I said, we, we probably as a uh, stated goal, we have to insulate ourselves better and we got to have better options if he's not there. Um, but, you know, I've, I've watched people go through this in the career where they struggle. It happened to me early. And then I went eight years without missing a practice. So I believe that things can happen. I, I believe they will for him. And, 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 you know, I really believe that Jimmy is our guy. Terrific. John Lynch, thanks so much for the time. I know you're busy, but thanks for the time. And congratulations again on reaching the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We'll see you there in August. All right. Thanks, be 47. Thanks, Thank 47. you. All right. Thank, okay. Take thanks, care. Clark. Bye. Congratulations. That was Hall of Famer John Lynch, 49ers GM in Ira. Um, I, I agree with him 100% on Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I don't know why there's all this speculation when you look at the numbers of what they do when he's in the lineup and what they do when he's not. But I think he's right. Because of his injury situation, you probably do have to have a, a fallback position, a better one at least than they've had. Well, with a year with so much quarterback topsy-turvy turmoil, maybe they can pick up a good backup. Ian, I want to get you on this quickly because Jimmy Garoppolo did play for your team, the New England Patriots. Are you believing Garoppolo or do, if you were the GM, if you were John Lynch, would you move on? No, look, the kid wins. Um, Is he the guy who's going to put up all these numbers and anything like that? No, I mean, but he's still young-ish, and I think he has room to grow. But he's proven that on the football field, he produces victories for his team. And we, we saw what it looked like when he got traded to San Francisco prior to that and what we've seen the San Francisco 49ers when he's been injured and out of the lineup. So Exactly. And as Herman Edwards tells us, Ira, what does he tell us? You play, you play the, the game, game to win. To win. <laughs> that's right. Whoa, that's the signal for our weekly I Was There segment. Ira, I sure hope those people are social distancing. Let's see, I see you're in the Wayback Machine today. So where are we going, Ira? We are going to the game that told me all I needed to know about Tony Dungy and why he was going to eventually end up with a bust in camp. Clark, it's December 10th, 2006, towards the end of that season. And the Colts go to Jacksonville. They go to Jacksonville, Clark. The first day of the game, simple handoff, Fred Taylor. 76 yards. That that was the harbinger of what was going to happen. Clark, I'm not making this up. Jacksonville ran for 251 yards in the first half. I remember it. I remember it. They, they finished Ian with 375, 375 rushing yards. They won 44 to 17 over the Indianapolis Colts. After the game, Clark, and I'm, I'm working for the Tribune, so I don't care about the Jaguars. I care about Tony Dungy because, you know, he's three or four years removed from Tampa. And I go to the locker room, and I look at Dungy, and they had been having trouble before that stopping the run for about two or three weeks. And I said, Coach, what are you going to do about this rushing defense? And he looked me right in the eye, Clark, and he said, in Dungy style, we're not changing a thing. We just got to do it better. Clark, six weeks later, Dungy was holding the Vince Lombardi trophy 
and they had a heck of a rushing defense. And I'll say this, Clark. What was the difference? Bob, Bob Sanders. Bob Sanders came right. back and made all the difference. But there was absolutely no panic from Coach Dungy. Zero. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that because I saw that game. I wasn't there, but I saw it. And I said, that's the reason the Colts are not going to do anything in the playoffs. And then Bob Sanders comes back and they were a different team, a completely different team. And, and in the playoffs, they were stopping everybody, as you mentioned. But that, to me, does tell you everything you need to know about Tony Dungy. He believes in what he believes in, and he stays true to his convictions. You know what? Paid off with a Lombardi trophy. And, and Clark, it, it might tell you all you need to know about Bob Sanders. Yeah. He was, a little, he was a little diminutive safety, but, boy, could he fill a gap, Clark. Became a defensive player of the year, too. Yes. He's a yes. terrific player. Uh, Ira, final thoughts. Uh, I'm just going to go back to our uh, fantastic guest, yep. uh, John Lynch. Yep. Clark, you made, a, you made a great point, Clark. Uh, you know, Harry Carson said, I want my name taken off this thing. Terrell Owens won't even go to the ceremony because he wasn't a first-timer. The class of John Lynch showed itself over eight years, Clark. Uh, anybody who needs to know anything about John Lynch, look, look at his character over those eight grueling years. Absolutely, Ira. And it never deviated. Never, ever did it change. He was true to himself. I want to mention one other thing, Ira. Uh, Doug Wilkerson, who was an offensive lineman I covered with the San Diego Chargers, he passed away this week at the age of 73. And maybe some people don't know who he was. A terrific player. Um, he passed away after living in a memory care home in Encinitas. They called him Moosey. Played 14 of his 15 seasons with the Chargers. He's a member of their Hall of Fame and the Black College Hall of Fame. And he, to me, he was one of the most important figures in the Air Coriel teams in the 1980s. He opened the holes for Chuck Muncie. He helped protect Dan Fouts. Terrific player and a terrific guy. And unfortunately, he's gone too soon at the age of 73. All right, that's going to do it. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76, gentlemen. Ian, where, what about you? Where can they find you? At IGLEN31. And you can find me at, at Clark Judge TOF. And if we don't hear from you there, you can hear from us right here at where, Ian? The iTest for two on Twitter. That's all letters, no numbers. There you go. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.